The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Talked about the NASDAQ giving back a little bit of its recent gains. Yields are higher too, but that closely watched yield curve growing steeper. Yet another warning sign for where growth may be heading in this economy in the months ahead. And that leads us to our talk of the tape and our lead guest, Double Line's Jeffrey Gunlock. He is with us for his first live TV interview following the Fed's decision on interest rates, raising them, of course, by a quarter point. Welcome back. It's good to see you again. Hey, Scott. Nice to be with you again. Yeah, we talked just before where you said probably go 25 and that would be it. You got your 25. You think that's it? I think the chances are better than 50-50 that we're done with the rate hikes. Um, we've, we're going to have to watch that, uh, how the short on the Treasury curve is moving, because it's been so schizophrenic in response to all of these strains in the banking system and the deposit runs. So uh, basically, the two-year Treasury has averaged about 4.4 for the past month. And so it's sort of in the context of where the Fed is now. But it suggests to me that the base case is the Fed's not going to be raising again. And I think this credit contraction uh, concern is going to be at the core of them pausing, because obviously uh, we've seen financial institutions, lending institutions, tightening credit conditions for a year now. And obviously, over the past few weeks, the, the signs are they'll be t they've tightened further and might, may tighten even uh, from here. I mean, the thing that Dominic Chu was talking about at the end of the last show is, is pretty real. I think that. A lot of people fell asleep on their checking account balances, not really realizing that they were getting such low interest rates while the six-month T-bill was giving you 5% and still, you know, four and a half or four and three quarters. And since it's all over the newspapers now and all over news programs, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that deposits as a percent of GDP fall fa fairly significantly as people wake up to the fact that they are giving away uh, 400 basis points by staying in the banks. And so that's going to be a, a liquidity concern. Also, regional banks uh, fuel a lot of small business lending, a large fraction mm -hmm. of it. And it's fairly clear that that's going to be contracting. So uh, I think all in all, uh, the economic headwinds are building. We've been talking about this for a while. And I think that the recession is, is here in a few, in a few months. Um, all we you really know need is the unemployment rate to go higher. You, you seem to be suggesting, I think, and please, you correct me if I'm wrong, um, that it's either or for the Fed. It's either you fight inflation or you, you're going to have a problem with financial stability. Whereas, let's say, Christine Lagarde, for example, ECB president, suggested that you could do both. One doesn't sacrifice the other. You, you have enough tools in the toolbox to continue to fight inflation 
and if there are credit financial stability issues that you could fight those as well at the same time. Do you disagree with that? Strongly, I strongly disagree with that. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So we're hearing a lot about the financial system sound and all that. But, you know, in the United States, we've had such a different uh, movement in the bank sector over the past, I'm talking back 20 years really, or at least, at least to 2005, where the U.S. banks, if you look at uh, Bank of America, it went all the way back to its high or nearly to its high back in 2005, 2006. J.P. Morgan, way above the highs pre-global financial crisis. Uh, Wells Fargo, same thing. But you look at Credit Suisse, and they never recovered uh, from the global financial crisis. They were still down like 90 percent the whole time for the past few years. And that's the same chart pattern that we see on Deutsche Bank, and it's the same chart pattern that we see on uh, Societe Generale. They're, they're all down from their highs. Credit uh, Suisse now basically 100%, but Deutsche Bank 90%, SG 85%, and now they're raising interest rates. So th it seems to be that there's obvious financial fragility in, in Europe, and the United States is also trying to cause a recession. And we've seen what's happened to the financial system uh, with the fact that the Fed really was too slow. We talked about this a year ago. You remember Painter, get off the ladder, Judge. And the Fed should have raised rates much faster. And instead, uh, inflation came. And it's not really the Fed raising rates that caused these huge losses in long-term treasuries at SVB. It's the fact that they didn't raise rates. I think if they had raised rates faster, the losses would have been less on the long bond, because the long bond was, was forced to uh, price, its, price uh, in, in inflation itself because the Fed wasn't fighting it. But if the Fed's going to fight inflation, uh, then there, there's, there's going to be uh, difficulties in the economy. And in fact, that's their stated goal. Remember, it was, a, I think it was a Clubber Lang. I think one of our last interviews I said it was Apollo Creed. It was Clubber Lang in the Rocky series who predicted pain. And that's what Jay Powell did uh, last fall. And uh, he's continued to deliver on that, on that prediction. So. The market is now suggesting you've got a 50 percent chance of a May hike. Now, you're saying it seems to me that if they go, if they go again, we risk more problems within the system, be it the banks, um, some worry about commercial real estate. But overall, yeah. that they are going to continue to manufacture issues within the economy if they continue on this path like they suggest they, they are. If they continue on this path, the gap between what you can get on T-bills and what you can get in the banking system will grow. And it will kind of counterproductively cause to shrinkage, great shrinkage of liquidity in the banking system and maybe, maybe some more problems with unrealized losses. One of the things that has made the markets understand a little bit happier in the past uh, 10 days or so is the long rates have come down. Um, they, they've come down pretty significantly. So the losses on long-term treasuries have contracted, uh, not, not today, but as a general theme. And so some of these issues are, are being uh, helped by long-term interest rates having fallen. If they reverse back up again, which I'm sort of suspicious that they will at the long end, they just seem too low. The 10-year treasury just can't break through 337 on a closing basis. And it, it sometimes does it overnight or something, but it can't get through there on a closing basis. And that is a shelf of resistance that goes back uh, for quite some time. 
And so I've been uh, owning treasuries as a hedge to credit, and I continue to advocate that as a strategy. And I would continue to move in that direction if we get more towards 390 or so on the 10-year from uh, the level that we are today, which is uh, about three, three and a half. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when some say, look, you know, inflation is, is obviously still bad, and I know you point to, you know, a direct cause and result of, you know, the Fed starting too late and then going too fast, which is why SVB, in your estimation, had the bulk of its issues. I mean, there are those who would say, would say it was more mismanagement than anything else, not hedging uh, out risk, the positioning. I think they were a victim of their own success. They had the bad luck of having a deluge of deposits coming in because of the distortions in the economy in 2021 when there was no interest rates. And so what are you going to do? I mean, you, 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 have to pay, you have to get some sort of a yield, and the yield was zero on, on, on short-term security. So some people say SVB should have hedged, but that's not really a thing. You can't buy treasuries and hedge out their interest rate risk and earn greater than the T-bill yield. It's just bond math. You can't, you can't do it. And also, you're, if you put hedges on, you'd have to mark the, you have to mark those to market. And so you have a mismatch uh, from the accounting perspective. But if they hadn't gotten all those deposits in, you know, they, 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 or if they got them in now, like might be happening to some of the money center banks, it's a pretty easy way to earn carry. If you're a bank paying out 25 basis points and your securities, you can buy T-bills uh, yielding four and a half. I mean, they're matched. It's, it's sort of a money machine. So that's, that's pretty good for the money center banks. Obviously, there's, this is an uneven stress on the system at the present time. I mean, I know we're sitting here talking about the possibility of more hikes. You, in fact, think that we're going to see cuts. You tweeted the Fed will be cutting, quote, substantially soon. Uh, what does substantially mean in your mind? And how many times will they cut this year, do you think? Uh, a couple of times, I think. And it's I think when I wrote that uh, tweet, we were kind of in the teeth of, you know, which bank is going to go down next. And that was consistent with the two-year Treasury dropping 150 basis points from its high yield. And it's relaxed somewhat, but it's still down a lot. The two-year Treasury was at 510, and now it's at 4%. So it's, it's still a big drop. So I think that the, the Fed is not going to raise interest rates unless, uh, for some reason, the two-year Treasury rate starts to go back up. But I just don't see it because the world has woken up to this gap again. I think this is really critical, and people are talking about it, but it's probably even more important than it's generally believed. This gap between we get on the two-year Treasury, if you just want to uh, get that for two years, 4%, and what you're getting at a money center bank uh, or a GSIB is, is just enormous. And it's going to keep downward pressure, I think, on the two-year. And also, that is going to keep the pressure on the Fed not to be raising uh, short-term interest rates further. Also, the economy is just clearly weak, and I think everybody knows that. Even the even the Wall Street economists that are kind of trained to be looking for green shoots and everything, every, almost everybody realizes there's a recession coming. It's just a question of, of how severe it's going to be. And as a bond manager, it doesn't make any difference uh, because, frankly, whether it's raining a half an inch an hour, uh, you, you need an umbrella if it's raining half an inch an hour. So if it's not that bad of a recession, you still need an umbrella. And if it's raining two inches an hour, well, you still need an umbrella. Either way, you need an umbrella. So I am strongly committed, as I talked about in past appearances, we've been doing it successfully for about 18 months, that when we get back up in long rates, which I expect should happen, at least moderately in the near term, you should buy long-term treasuries. 
because as we've seen through this period of turmoil, they do act as a ballast against credit markets, which have been wobbling a bit. And Scott, I'd like to talk about the message from the credit markets because uh, it's a little bit wonky. But most people, because it's wonky, don't have visibility into it. The high yield bond market is, is shut down. There, there hasn't been a high yield bond issue since March 2nd. And what, what's happening in the high yield bond market is what we call spread decompression. In other words, the spreads on the junkier stuff, the triple C's being the lowest rated, the spread on those has widened pretty substantially versus double B's, which is the highest quality in, in the junk bond uh, universe. And that's that's showing signs of, of continued uh, uh, instability, or at least should be watched, as that spread is a real tell on what is the, the health of the credit system. And it's, it's not looking really good. So uh, that's something that we're really, really watching. I would not advocate, talked about this before, buying triple C uh, or, or such, such types of securities because the default rate is going to go up. We've seen the banking lender standards tightens very substantially. They've done it again. That leads uh, default rates in the lower tiers of credit, particularly the junk bond market, by about eight months to a year. And we're, we're right at that point, and the conditions are getting tougher. So uh, I think you want to be in middle tiers of credit, hedging it with long-term treasuries. And the market has been very generous to be able to put those trades on. Uh, markets have been very range-bound. You, you showed that chart of the S&P 500 and its battle with 4,000. It's been in a range for a long time. I mean, the, do you know that the uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500, and the NASDAQ are all basically on price, forget about dividend, have a zero return for the last two years? I think, I think the NASDAQ's actually slightly negative. I think one of them is up very slightly, and one of them is almost exactly at zero. So no gains in, in two years. Of course, that, that's been better than bonds. Uh, as we talked about in past in past discussions, but we're really in a, in a trading range. Yields are in a trading range too right now. If you look at the 30-year Treasury yield, it's coiling. Uh, it's been going into a narrower and narrower range, and I, I think it's going to break out to the upside. Do, do you think that as a result of the banking crisis that we we just exhibited, that if we have a recession, it's going to be worse than you would have otherwise thought before? I ask you that question in the context yeah. of what. Ian Shepherdson of Pantheon, uh, Pantheon said today, I'm getting really nervous that an economy I thought was going to dodge a recession is at much greater risk of falling into one. It could be quite severe. He said that on our network earlier this morning. Well, I share some of that pieces of that sentiment. I think what might make it really bad is the inflationary response to it. I think that if we have a recession against this financial system, I think that the Fed is going to have to act very dramatically. And we've seen in the past few recessions that it's always more deficit spending, more quantitative easing. And quite frankly, they talk about these tools as if they're, they're, they're surgeons or something. These tools are basically uh, quantitative easing and negative interest rates, zero interest rates. That's what it is. And we've seen the effect of that, uh, that we seem to have crossed the Rubicon. That we've done this long enough that uh, it's going to be difficult to keep going. And also, the other thing that's looming, and this is really important, is that the entitlement programs need to be reformed. And it's not our grandchildren's problem anymore. The Social Security trustees themselves admit that they're out of money in nine years, assuming no recession, and that by 11 years from now, without reforms, we'd have to cut benefits by 20%. Of course, we're going to have a recession, uh, at least one in the next nine years. We're probably going to have one in the next nine months. 
And so the Social Security system is going to run into trouble far faster than nine years from now. It's going to be more like five years from now. And we need to address this. And I'm happy to hear that there's a growing acknowledgement, at least around the edges of the political uh, population, the, po the politicos, that they realize that this, this is something that needs to be addressed. So we're getting into the uh, real action period for mm -hmm. the next recession is going to really be a problem. And I think we're going to have uh, monetary uh, responses that are quite inflationary. I think we talked about this uh, last time, two weeks ago. When forced to choose, they're going to give up the inflation fight uh, to to uh, take care of you know uh, a growing unemployment problem and a growing economic uh, divot. They'll they'll abandon the inflation fight because they always do. Jeffrey, so you made your thoughts pretty clear on on what you think is going to happen for the economy what the Fed is going to have to do as a result of all that. But what, what now with risk assets do you think, given all uh, of what we've witnessed in the past few weeks with the crisis that we had, the way the Fed dealt with it, the fact that you do think they're done and they may have to cut coming up? I think right now the best, uh, the optimal strategy is to uh, reduce risk on strength, uh, on strength. The markets, the markets are so volatile and so much movement that uh, it's almost impossible to sell on weakness. The markets just, just go into a mine shaft type of decline. And that's true in, in the credit markets. And I think it's true uh, in other risk assets as well. The move index, which is the volatility index for treasury bonds, is really elevated and remains elevated. It went to the highest level in many years. Uh, during this this banking uh, situation, but it's still, as of right now, even though it's relaxed a little bit, it's still higher than it was at its peak in March of 2020, at the front edge of of the economic uh, lockdown, and that's suggestive to me of further volatility ahead. And when I say volatility, it usually means down. So we're in a we're in a, a hiatus here. But we have we have some uh, lower interest rates, and we have st stability. In the equity markets, which I even talked about that two weeks ago, Scott, even though we're right in the middle of bank uh, failures, I said I, I don't, I'm not really worried about uh, the stock market other than volatility, and here we are hovering still at about 4,000. Um, I think I think stocks going up 4,200, 4,300 is once again an opportunity to reduce risk, and that, that would go along with uh, probably a, a decent opportunity to reduce. Uh, lower tiers of credit risk. I'm really uh, negative on lower credit quality bank loans because they And we talked about the credit conditions being tighter and the rates are obviously much higher and they're going to, and they reset quarterly. And so they're going to be defaults. The, the, the bank loan triple C market to no defaults, which is a totally implausible assumption, but that's the way mm -hmm. they, they yield 20% to no defaults. So obviously the market is looking for a pretty elevated default rate. When you start having defaults in the lower tiers of the credit system, it's very unlikely that you're going to be seeing substantial gains in other risk assets. They kind of drag everything lower and it becomes tremendous competition. If Remember that junk bonds, even though they're, they're low credit for a fixed income portfolio, they're senior in the capital structure to equity. And so if junk bonds are going to have a problem, I think you need to be battened down in terms of risk. The, the good news is uh, I, I, it, there is a, this sort of stable place here now that the uh, the storm is at least, at least the first wave of the storm seems to have passed.
We'll see. Also, and, you don't, and you don't think you, you don't think forgive me for interrupting you but you, you don't think that you know if you get to 42 or 4300 on the S&P the, the, and, and as you said the, the storm has passed at least the first storm you don't think the Fed's going to say you see we can do it we can keep going the stock market is fine the economy is still okay we put out a fire and we did it relatively quickly and if there's another flare-up we'll just do it again they, they may feel that way, but it's, it's a ways till the next meeting. And we have a couple of employment reports uh, coming out. I, I think the next meeting is, is, May, is May 3rd. I, there probably isn't an employment report because that would be on a Wednesday, so the employment report would be on the 5th. But there's going to be some economic data. And the, the way things are going, I expect the economic data to be weakening. And so I'm not so sure the Fed's going to be able to feel like, you know, we've pulled this off because the economy uh, is is has been deteriorating for quite some time and I, I i don't think it's very logical to assume that, that trend's going to continue so i just don't think i just don't think the fed i i think the fed kind of half-heartedly raised rates it's, it reminds me of the old story i tell about this guy the guy that swam across the english channel the first guy that swam across the english channel went to uh western new york and saw these amazing rapids in niagara falls and he made a boast that he could swim across it and he actually, the reporters came and he actually did jump in down in the lower gorge of the Niagara River and he was seen flailing his arms and legs a little bit and then they found his dead body six miles down the river. Um, he had to do it because he bragged about it and just wanted to save face. I sort of felt like, and I talked about this two weeks ago, that's kind of where, what it felt like to me was where the Fed was at uh, in the press conference last week. So I, I don't think they're very braggadocious about uh, or highly confident in what was dot plot out there and mm -hmm. still remains mm -hmm. out in 2024. I think they're going to have to capitulate. Well, May 3rd, we're going to find out. And the good news is we're going to be together again uh, right after that Fed decision. So I can't wait for that. Keep your calendar open for me, okay? I'll do it. I'll do it, Judge. Always enjoyed uh, meeting with you on Fed Day. I missed it last week, yep. quite frankly. Yep. So did we. So did we. But we'll see you soon. Thanks for the time today. That's Jeffrey Gunlock exclusively with Walk us here. Down. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.